How are you? I am mute. Yeah. No, I, no. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. Another wonderful day in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I watched the Kyle one uh, this morning, and I was I was invoked. So that oh, was cool. Nice, cool. Yeah, it turned out pretty good. And then uh, today's is good. I recommend today's with uh, Donnie Zoldan because he get, gives a perspective on New York, which is nice. And oh yeah, you have a stand-up comic. Yeah, the, the he's a club owner. Yeah. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like, was he the one that Jerry Seinfeld had the thing with? Uh, sort of. That's his uh, partner. The okay. phone stand-up New York, yeah. Yes, Great. yes, yes. Okay. Is he optimistic or is he pessimistic about it? Um, I think I think a little bit of both. Yeah. I, th I think, you know, we, we recorded that like a few weeks ago. And I think things are better now because now they are open again and, uh, right. and stuff. But... I, it was bleak, I think, there for a minute. And uh, the, the, the big thing he talked about was um, bigger comics not seeming to care, you know? Yeah. Like, they didn't, he was like, they didn't seem to care about the clubs. They didn't seem to care about the city all that much. It was all sort of self-centered. And they really could have used uh, a lot of support not financially but just kind of moral support and uh yeah yeah i mean are, are we are we start have we started already because oh we're jamming uh, we're, oh, okay we're, great yeah. yeah well well you know that's i i can relate to that uh you know as a casting director because mm -hmm. uh i thought that once you know movies got back into production you know there was that there was that point in the summer where we weren't sure how to do it and everyone kind of hit the pause button mm -hmm. and I thought that once we resumed you know actors would be itching to work but the point of the matter is these actors the bigger actors the ones that we need these days to green light the films essentially yeah uh, they didn't really want to work and they still don't really <laughs> um you know nope. unless Scorsese calls they are perfectly fine with staying home and you know waiting for things to get back to the real normal uh yeah. you know they don't want to wear the masks and do all the tests and all that stuff yeah, and in, and you know, Scorsese only works with the same ten actors. I mean, most of the people you're talking about, I don't know. It's like we're in a weird new class of things of like, who is even an actor anymore? Like, who's a movie star? I don't even know who a movie star is anymore. Well, that's the thing. I keep going to the to the tried and trues, the our mm -hmm. parents movie stars. You know, that those yeah. are the people that. Uh, pass uh dallas's louisiana cousins test which you guys spoke about on your on your sure, podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um you know even if someone's really great and they're on a hit amazon show or something and, and they're hip and cool and we like them i call my mom and i ask her and she doesn't know who that person is so uh i don't think we're a movie culture anymore and that's the no. problem uh i think that there are people with star quality and there and there are people that could be movie stars but uh, the general public just doesn't really care. We've moved on to other things and not necessarily good things. Yeah. You know? No, I, I agree. I mean, to, to sort of build on that and, and example, like, I, and we talked, we had lunch the other day, but I, I was talking about how, like, charismatic, because I tuned into SNL like a week ago and David Kalula was hosting. And he's sort of new to me. I don't, I don't, I don't know what I've watched that he's been in. Should there something? Oh, of course, yeah. Get out. Um, yeah, he's great. But even in Get Out, which he's good in, 
on SNL, I was like, this guy could be a cast member. Like he's, because I, I even looked up when he was doing his monologue, I looked up, I was like, has he done stand-up comedy before? He seemed extremely natural. Oh uh, yeah, I gotta watch that. I haven't seen it. Uh, I tend not to like SNL, so I, so I missed it. But that's uh, but he's yeah, <laughs> but he's, no, he's a real star, and that's what I mean. There are stars, but uh, the audience isn't there. It's a it's a no. supply and demand issue, you know. Yeah, and I uh, not to tell tell tales out of school, but I have a poker night uh, every Wednesday, and uh, it's about eight uh, eight or so uh, guys, all liberals, and someone asked if they were like. Hey, have you guys seen Judas and the Black Messiah yet? And then there was a pregnant pause of five seconds, and everyone just sort of going, "No, nah, I just haven't seen it." Yet. So I was yeah, like, Whoop, I "The, it, the Oscars yeah. are in trouble." Well, I haven't seen any of them. I haven't seen Nomadland. Yeah. I'm still catching up, and I plan to see them. But you know, Bill Maher had a great bit about how they're really depressing, and you know, uh, at this time, uh, we should we all kind of want escapism and something that's a little more fun and, and cinematic. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, look, it could be a good movie. It kind of, there, you know, the movies when you're in high school and like you have a substitute teacher and they, they, they like play a movie. Like, oh yeah. No, we're kind of making those movies. Yeah. We're <laughs> making homework. We're making homework. That's yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. So I don't want to uh, say anything bad about these about these movies I could like a lot of them I could like Nomadland who knows but so far I I, I haven't uh haven't been enjoying the films of 2020 aside from a couple of gems I thought that uh the kid detective was really great and that was a first time film mm -hmm. um that was a lot of fun and um and uh I mean I you know I like the the last act of Promising Young Woman I, I thought that's it I, I, I wasn't really feeling it until until the third act, and it's amazing what a third act can do. A great third act can make you for, forgive the first two. Yeah. Um, so so you know that was okay, but yeah, this year you know what are you gonna do? And Stephen, it's not uh, you know not even just those films, but it's even uh, like big directors struck out a lot, and like man, like I was I can't tell you how excited I was to watch Mank, and uh, yeah, you want to talk about a third act? I mean. It, the third act was in uh, one sentence. <laughs> yeah, like, like he was like, "Oh, when they like five minutes to go, he was like, uh, they started fighting about authorship of the script." And I looked at my wife. I was like, "Is that what the movie's about?" I was like, "That's pretty late to introduce this problem." Because you know what, I, I have a confession. I didn't make it that far. I turned it off uh, after forty-five. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you. I I, stuck, I dug in there, but I was like, and part of me uh you know afterwards i was like am i cold to it because i, I was laying on my floor you know on in pillows watching it on our tv would it have been different if it was you know at the arc light which is now i that's not even an option but uh i wonder that too i wonder that i mean i think theaters are dead and i hate to be such a such a pessimist you know uh during this because I love movies and I, I always hold out hope for movies, but I do think that theaters are dead. Uh, mm -hmm. And for me, that's, that's where I like to see movies. I, I don't really like mm -hmm. to watch movies at home. I mean, I have Blu-rays and I, you know, subscribe to all the channels, but yeah, uh, you know, it's not the same thing. And, and I think that we're, we're doing a disservice to these films. I mean, you know, if, if you could watch the Godfather, but if you're at home and you're flipping through Instagram and you're, you know, cooking something, it, it's not going to be good. Yeah, it, it, it's you're almost you know you're set up to fail. And and I I found with my own films when I would send out 
uh, links, I had this like, um, it's called Indie TV and you could track uh, mm -hmm. where people pause it, where they skip, where they abort. And um, everyone was skipping through the beginning. And I just thought, wow, this is really telling because, you know, normally the way we make movies, a three-act structure is, is, you know, in the beginning, you kind of settle in, you learn about the environment, what time period are we in, mm -hmm. what, who, who are our characters, you know, and you don't have the first turning point till you know, 15 to 20 minutes in, right? Right. Um, but uh, that's, I think that the way we watch movies now is going to change the way we make movies. Where, where now you have to really start off with something that grabs you. You have to start off with a bang. And then if you want to slow down somewhere in the middle when you already have everyone, you could do that. But, uh, you, you know, there's so many options that someone picks something and then if they're not intrigued, you know, in five minutes they go, oh, I picked the wrong one and they, and they go to something else. Yeah. Um, boy, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Because I, I, you were saying so many things that I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But are you talking about, because I, I watched your first movie, No Way to Live, really enjoyed it. Thank uh, you. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to in a, about it in a second. But is that the movie that you think that people were skipping? No, uh, oh, okay. that technology I don't think was around when I made that movie, but it was my okay. second film, Hospitality, which admittedly is a slower film. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I was trying to do a kind of like a John Dahl 90s noir um, and, uh, yeah, the beginning is kind of like, all right, let's settle in and, and we're in a small town in the middle of nowhere and et cetera, et cetera. And everyone was skipping the beginning. And I just thought that was, um, it really actually informed the way I, the way I approach scripts now. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, cause I was going to say your first movie, No Way, no Way to Live, uh, right from the end, right from the first frame is, you know, a, sh a shotgun right in your face, which is, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. And then. Uh, I really enjoyed it, by the way. I thought uh, you really yeah. nailed that atmospheric tone of like, you know, James McCain or, am I saying that right? James? Mm -hmm. Yeah. James M. Cain. James M. Cain, yeah. Uh, you know, the pulp stuff and the, you know, great performance by the lead, the two leads. Uh, really yeah, dug yeah. it. Yeah, Probably I has the most tense you. hand job uh, I've seen in a movie in a long time. Not, no spoilers, <laughs> yeah, but. It's kind of gross too, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that, I, that was exactly what I was going for. I, I read a lot of pulps. I love James M. Cain. My second movie is also um, very influenced by, by Cain. Mm -hmm. But I love Jim Thompson and Charles Williford and David Goodis and all of those guys from that golden era, mm -hmm. uh, those, those gold medal thrillers and all that. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you got it. It's, uh, I called the company paperback movies. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. But so how are you approaching scripts now with that in mind? Like, what do you... Yeah, I just always think that someone's going to watch this on a screen, uh, uh, on a TV screen, not a movie theater. Um, mm -hmm. And you know what? I hate to say it, but it even kind of dictates how you shoot a movie. Yeah. Um, because think of a Sergio Leone extreme wide shot. Is that going to be awesome when you're watching on a computer? Is that mm -hmm. going to, I don't know. I, so you kind of have to think about these things now in a different yeah. way. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I just think of like one of the most tense scenes I've ever seen in a movie is in Tarkovsky's uh, The Mirror when the guy tries to walk across the dry pool with a candle. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I don't know. He's just doing it, you know, and it's like, and you're following, it's all one shot, and this guy's trying to do it, and, he, and it goes out a couple times, so he restarts. And I just think like now people would be like, why? 
Why shoot this? Why bother? Well, we, yeah, what, what's, what's happened is that because we have so much TV and TV is not a, um, a cinematic medium, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, uh, an information medium. It's kind of like, um, you know, a lot of talking heads, a lot of information, uh, a lot of plot. It's a plot driven. Uh, mm -hmm. Film, I don't think is really the way, the reason film was made was not for plot, right? Mm -hmm. We have, uh, uh, we have other, um, we have books for that. We have other things for that. Film was, was kind of, to me, like, always a dream. It was like mm -hmm. a dream that, that you're experiencing while you're awake. And um, because everyone watches so much TV, it, they just, I don't know if they're gonna have the, the patience to sit there and watch something that's just more of a uh, kind of a visual, audio visual experience, uh, something that kind of have to wash over you and really mm -hmm. like get into the rhythm of you have to meet the filmmaker on their own terms. If it's if it's slow, like okay, like get into that rhythm. Yeah, um, I don't think we're there right now. Right, and I think the key word you said was wash over. I mean, how can you be washed over in your living room? You know. Right, but also with all the dialogue and all the plot turns and all the cliffhangers, it's kind of just meant. It's you know what it's meant for. It's meant for you to go and and you can go to the kitchen and grab a snack <laughs> and mm -hmm. keep it on. And if you hear it, you didn't miss anything. Right. You know, because it's just information. It's just people talking. Yeah. I, I was watching, um, oh, and, and audiences are actually getting really smart about it too, which is interesting. I was watching, I remember I was watching The West Wing with this uh, millennial uh, who is younger. She, she, at the time, I, I don't, well, she's like five years younger than me, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and she's on her phone the whole time. And like, they're speaking, you know, it's Aaron Sorkin. They're going back and forth really fast and everything. And I'm getting lost. I'm watching and I'm like, wait, what's going on? And she just tells me, oh, yeah, they're, they're doing this and this and this. And like, she got it. Yeah. Even though she wasn't watching. And I, and I remember that and just going like, wow, it's, there's a different kind of like comprehension in a way, which is like very intelligent that, that's going on. But it's not, it's not uh, uh, really for cinema. Yeah. Well, I might owe the, one of the film reviewers at Vox an apology. Because I, I, I posted like snippets of their article about talking about a trial of Chicago seven. And she was like, yeah, I was on my phone the whole time fact checking it. I was like, first of all, way to go. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like, is that, that's how are you living your life? She's being honest. You know? Yeah. But it's like, I mean, why bother? Like why be a film critic if you're not even well, like totally yeah. going to enjoy it? Yeah. Film criticism is a whole other thing. And, and, uh, Again, I, I, I didn't want to go into this so negatively, but I'm very disappointed with the state of film criticism. And I love, you know, I love the old critics. I love Pauline Kael mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Saris. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I used to read film criticism, you know, religiously. I'd go to the library and I'd check out books of film criticism. And, and it's really helped me kind of find things and define my own taste. Yeah, sure. Uh, but now it's not even remotely the same art form. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I can only think of a handful of people. Um, like Kim Morgan is great. I, don't I know like if you know. Kim. Yeah, Kim. And uh, Justine Smith, who <clears throat> I've had on my other podcast, and she's the one I'm, we're eventually going to do this Cassavetti's sort of limited uh, series with. She's fantastic. She's a great writer. But yeah, I mean, other than that, uh, I, I mean, I can't think I mean, of who I, I go to. I, uh, I like Manola Dargis. I like some of the top critics, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's 
it's become a different thing and it's become caught up in the, uh, in the, in the moment of it all and the politics mm -hmm. of everything. And uh, I don't think that we're uh, critiquing uh, form anymore. I, I, I rarely read a critic and go, oh, they, they get filmmaking, you know? Yeah. Um, it's more about, you know, uh, where it falls into our, uh, uh, you know, our current affairs and, uh, you know, perceived politics and all that. Yeah, I mean, I, the guy who uh, reviewed the Hemingway documentary, I mean, just sort of being flippant about it, you know, because he was like, oh, it's another portrait of a white male. It's like, no, it's Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you could hate his novels, like, and, and, and be like, no, but his life deserves, a, you know, a, t a retelling. You know, and I just constantly think like, what has this guy ever done? Not, it not. Sounds like he but... didn't watch it because I'm, I'm watching it right now, yeah. and I think that they actually do grapple with um, the, you know, for lack of a better term, because it's such a stupid buzzword, but toxic masculinity. You mm -hmm. know, uh, I, I, I mean, right, right in the beginning, they talk about how he was dressed as a girl with his, with his uh, sister, and yeah. how they may have turned him into this kind of macho image that we know of him and, you know, it, I think that there, there's a lot more nuance and complexity there that they do grapple with. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, of course he's a, he's a, you know, uh, he's a difficult guy. And, mm -hmm. and so often that's, you know, a great, great artists are, great artists are, it's always been a kind of a, a an expression and a, and a haven for people who are, you know, hurt and traumatized and all of this. So, you know, to subject everyone to that kind of purity test, it's, it's not, it's not really the point. Right. No, not at all. It, it's weird to me to sort of uh, uh, the people placing themselves in a sort of uh, uh, higher morality. That is just a weird thing to me. Yeah. Sort of sanct sanctimonious is an odd, uh, area to live in but um right and they're not contributing anything so no. it'd be one thing if they were great artists then yeah. then maybe you'd go okay if they're saying look we got to get rid of these old people because this is the new wave of art and it's so great that's not what's happening no no no, <laughs> it's no. not an art movement it's a it's a destructive movement by the way the guy that wrote that uh hemingway piece uh phd in harvard in transatlantic literature white guys so, I mean, it's like, you know, why don't you go study something else? Why don't you, like, do contribute some more to society? That's a good point, yeah. I mean, well, Harvard's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there are Ivy League people are only ruining the country. Um, but let's, uh, we'll, we'll shift gears and, and, and talk about your first film. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you co-wrote it and co-directed it, right? Yeah. With, uh, uh, what, what's your, your partner's name is Nick. I'm sorry. Nick Jack. I had this. Uh, how, did, how did you two meet? So we went to art school together uh, in uh, Manhattan called the School of Visual Arts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came out here about nine years ago, 2012, and I didn't know anyone except him. Um, so I ended up crashing on his couch for a while while I was looking for a job and a place to live. I mean, I came out here with nothing. I came out here with 500 bucks in my pocket. And um, while we were under the same roof, we thought, let's, let's write something because we both were writers and we'd always send each other scripts for kind of notes and things like that, but we never wrote together. 
So No Way to Live was like the second script that we wrote together and it just really took off. People really liked it. And um, it's a long story, but long story short, uh, after investors fucked us over repeatedly, we decided oh, we're gonna raise the money ourselves. And, um, and we did with the help of Nick's uh, girlfriend at the time, who's his wife now. Um, we went out and we raised, uh, you know, $10,000 here and there. And every time we did, we'd go out and we'd shoot on the weekends. Uh, and cumulatively, it, it turned into like 125000 around mm -hmm. that. Uh, but it took us six months to, to shoot it. And then another six months, basically, to edit it and sell it. Um, so we worked on it for, for a year. Wow. I, um, wow. Congrats. I did, this did not seem like it was piecemeal together. So thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's big time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and where did you find, I mean, just the actors were through casting, but they're, they're both terrific. Um, yeah. Well, that's a good segue into how I got into casting. Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, uh, worked with a casting director named Matthew LaSalle, um, who's really great and kind of had a reputation for younger actors. So I knew that I wanted, you know, uh, the Nora character was 16 and, and he was like 18 or whatever. So I, um, I went to him and uh, he cast the film and then our investor, our original investor pulled out the money. Mm -hmm. So um, he was really cool about it. And I was really scared. I remember I was really scared to tell him that we lost the money and he was like, Oh, it happens. It's a bummer. But look, like just, you know, call me when you get the money again take as long as you need, just like go out and get it done. And then when I, I said, hey, what if I did this piecemeal? He was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, all right, you want to put me in touch with the actors? And he said, yeah, sure. So I reached out to Freya and Tom um, and said, you know, look, we're going to try to shoot this on the weekends. And we, it, it might never be a movie, right? Mm -hmm. It might just be half a movie. And you have to be okay with that. And we'll be okay with if you get a show or something and you're unavailable, we'll figure that out. But let's just see what we can do. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they said, yeah, they were actually really excited about that. And we... Um, we shot for a week, we cut together a sizzle reel, and then that really helped because we didn't have anything to really show. They liked the script, but they were like, all right, you haven't done a movie yet. So mm -hmm. once we had the sizzle reel, we were able to shop it around and, and they went, oh, this, is a, this looks like a real movie. Okay, here's like $2,000. And then every time we'd hit 10 or so, we'd go out and we'd do it again. And um, then when we finished the film, uh, I had... I wasn't allowed back at my job at that point because I kept leaving. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, yeah, I was working at a juice bar and um, the casting director, Matt said, well, why don't you come be my assistant? So, so that's what I did. And I just took to it really fast. You know, I'm, I'm a, a human IMDb. I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> I have an encyclopedic knowledge of film and, and uh, I just, you know, I have great taste and, and, and our taste, uh, you know, aligned. So we did like 20 films together. And then at that point, I, I thought, all right, I know, what to, I know what I'm doing now. I cut my teeth, uh, you know, and I, can, I think I could start my own company. So I did. And the great thing about, you know, uh, being a writer-director to begin with is that all my friends were in some capacity making movies, you know? Yeah. Writing, directing, producing, whatever the case may be. So I said, hey, if anyone has a movie, you know, come to me and uh, I'll cast it. And uh, I just... Started off with a couple of producers that were making a few films a year, and that was kind of all I needed to to get my resume to a point where where I had credibility and word was getting around that I was I was good at this. Yeah, nice. Uh, let's. I want to dig a little deeper into the process of casting a movie because, as, as an actor, my interaction with casting directors 
usually just result in uh, you're not going to be in this dog food commercial. So, you know, like what, like what is the, like when a project comes across your desk, how are you approaching it? Um, well, I look at the elements, uh, you know, I, I look at what kind of movie it is. I, I look at who's directing it, I, all mm -hmm. that, uh, read the script. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't shy away from any budget. I've cast $50,000 films and mm -hmm. I've cast multiple millions and, you know, I, um, I even cast a hundred million dollar film, but that was, it never went. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, I, you know, I have to feel like, uh, I can deliver what they want. If they come mm -hmm. to me with a script, that's okay. And they say, we want Margot Robbie. I'm not going to blow smoke up their ass and be like, yeah, sure. Hire me and we'll get her. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell them what's realistic. And if we see eye to eye on the expectations, then, then I'll do the film. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you're very pleasantly surprised and you do get, uh, a, you know, a very visible actor that takes to it. Um, but each film is a, is a different thing and each film has different needs. And, and you know, uh, like with Dallas, I, uh, the whole financing is contingent on, on getting that marquee name. Yeah. So, so uh, that's going to be different than the indie that comes to me and says, you know, my uncle Joe, uh, wrote me a check for a quarter of a million dollars and we can cast anyone we want, just hold auditions. Mm -hmm. you no, know, those are two different ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. And so um, this, this might be a completely dumb question, but how are you casting? Like how far down do you go casting? Like every, everybody with a line, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so I do uh, everyone that speaks mm -hmm. uh, a lot of movies since we don't really have, you know, tax incentive here, unless you're, you know, a, a certain production that qualifies for it. Sure. Um, I do a lot of movies outside of LA. So then I'll, I'll work with a local casting director that'll kind of help wrangle all the tapes together and, and I'll, I'll oversee it because I want there to be a kind of cohesiveness to the, to the cast. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not like, you know, doing all the, the heavy lifting over there. Um, over here, before COVID, I would see everyone in the room. I would have director sessions, things like that. I mean, if it's just a day player role, I'll have them self-tape and, you know, yeah. that, that, uh, that's okay. But for any kind of like, you know, significant supporting role, uh, I'll hold director sessions so the director could be in the room with the actors and talk to them and all that stuff. And then are you sort of, I would imagine, keeping, uh, you have to have folders of all the, uh, interesting faces and people and weird voices and like, oh yeah well i know if they don't if they don't work for this one they might work for the next one exactly and that happens all the time i know everyone in this town honestly like i mean my <laughs> my head is just filled with actors and and um it happens like that a lot where uh well isabel may uh, from run hide fight you know she she came in for another movie before run hide fight and i've had her on my radar for a while and i knew she was a star and i just wanted to put her in a movie um and uh you'll be huge i'm telling yeah, you yeah 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 i think so too and but that's a great example of, of someone who wasn't quite right for one mm -hmm. but that nailed it on another and uh you know that's i always say this to actors too is that it's not rejection you know if, if you don't get the role it's not rejection it's because you're not necessarily i'm not always casting the best actor right i'm casting the best actor for that role now that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they have the most range that doesn't mean you know it's it's a whole different thing you need to kind of just duplicate what's on the script, what the director wants, and uh, someone that embodies that is going to get the role. But um, someone else could come in, and I could say, "Oh my God, that's my favorite actor," you yeah. know. But, but they're not going to get the role. Yeah. And you know, uh, I'm sure we're going to touch on sort of 
classic Hollywood movies, but really one thing that's missing in movies today are those oddball, <laughs> those oddball side characters and the Timothy Carries and the yeah, Val yeah, Averys yeah. and where, where are these people? You well, know, I mean, they exist. They, they exist, but a, a lot of them are on TV. Uh, there's yeah. a guy I really love named uh, Damon uh, Harriman who played uh, Charles mm -hmm. Manson in both the Fincher and the Tarantino shows. Yeah. Um, and I think he's, an, I think he's like Dustin Hoffman. I think he's just like an unbelievable genius actor uh, who is kind of stuck in TV because that's where those types of actors go. Yeah. Um, they're not leading men. Like I just watched Straight Time with Dustin Hoffman and, and I watched Harry Kellerman. Um, and we don't have movies like that where we don't have Dustin Hoffman. Right. Maybe, maybe we have Adam Driver. He's kind of like a Dustin Hoffman, but they're few and far between. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I always say, you know, I don't want this to be the pretty person movie. Whenever, yeah. I, whenever I cast a movie, uh, unless it, it is the pretty person movie, uh, but, but when I'm making something gritty, I'm always like, all right, I want authenticity. I want to strive for authenticity. And it's so hard because everyone that walks in just looks like, you know, they should be on the CW. Um, yeah, they're beautiful. They have 0% body fat. Actors <laughs> who are listening to this, stop bleaching your teeth. For <laughs> yeah, God's well, sakes. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. You find them. I think that, I think that um, actually when I look in New York, I find people that feel a little more like what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and look, I don't want to make anyone feel bad for being, for being beautiful. No, uh, of course. But it's, it's great, like it's a great thing. Yeah. Um, but, and, and you know, look, here's, here's, my, here's the, the thing. When you're a great actor, you change the way you hold your face. You change your voice. You change the, your everything. You, you could change with that. I'm not even talking about putting on weight or anything. I'm talking about just like, like you know, um, like, uh, Robert Pattinson in Good Time. He wasn't so pretty, right, right, right. But yeah, but he is. So, so I think that if you're really tapping into a role, um, you can you can do that. I still stand by the teeth thing. Half these people look like they got piano keys in their mouth. It's yeah, it's yeah, distracting. Yeah, yeah. I'm just constantly like, wow, how was that painful? Well, well, it only it only bothers me in westerns. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Of course. When I see that in a western, I go, ah, you know. Come on. <laughs> and there's only one guy making those. So, right, uh, exactly. Jeez, exactly. Uh, so, uh, growing up, let's, let's get into it. What, what were some influences? What were, I mean, you mentioned the pulp novels. You mentioned, what, what's like the big bang here? Well, um, in terms of film, I mean, Scorsese is my favorite director. Great. Uh, and I grew up, you know, uh, watching all of his films. Mean Streets is my dad's favorite film because he grew up in Corona, Queens. And oh, nice. uh, he'd always tell me this is what it was like when I was growing up. And these were like my friends and all that. Did, did <laughs> so, he explain what a mook is? Oh, I, yeah, I knew. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so I, so I started with Mean Streets and I, I, you know, of course, Goodfellas and Casino and all those movies, they really had a big impact on me. Pulp Fiction was huge for me. It was Enormous. monumental, and it still is. Uh, you know, just everything about that movie, uh, I, I, I see in my own work subconsciously. Um, so that was a game changer. I saw and it so, Sorry to cut you off, but I, I saw it eleven times in the theater. Wow. Okay, you're older than I, than I am. I so I saw it. Well, I was very young. I saw it right when it came out on VHS. I was about eight years old. And my, my mom wanted me to do something. I didn't want to do it. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll make you a deal. If you go and do it, I'll let you watch Pulp Fiction. Because she knew I wanted to see it. Nice. So, so I watched it and um, I loved it so much. 
that I told everyone at school about it. And then they would come over to my house to watch it because their parents wouldn't let them watch it. <laughs> uh, nice. And I, I ended up watching it, yeah, probably 20 times, you know, and I knew every word and everything. And, um, and then when I moved out to LA, and I was like 25 years old, I moved out to LA and I went, oh, I get it even more now. This mm -hmm. is Pulp Fiction. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. You imagine telling a kid today, or a teenager today, of like, oh, I went to see a movie 11 times in the theater. They would be like, I know, yeah. Let's say, what's just, the theater? Just I, steal uh, it, just download yeah, it. Exactly. I mean, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood six times in the theater. Ooh, yeah. I saw yeah. three, saw it three times. Look, God, yeah. so good. That's like so also my favorite movie ever now. I just, uh, I adore it. Yeah, it's up there. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Those, you know, the, uh, but then I got into, I was watching like, you know, very, um, a very diverse, uh, a, a, you know, a very eclectic uh, filmography. My, my whole life was about finding movies from different time periods, different genres, different, um, you know, directors, silent films, everything. I mean, I was huge on Hitchcock growing up and that was kind of a segue to, to the classics because I'd, I'd fall in love with an actor and I'd, then I'd watch every Cary Grant movie or I'd watch every Jimmy Stewart movie and um, kind of did that and, um, you know, by the time I got to college, the film history uh, courses were a little boring for me because I had seen everything and I was already onto the kind of obscure, I was watching exploitation films at that point because mm -hmm. I had seen all the AFI top 100 and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what, what period would you say is the best? What's a what's peak Hollywood? Because I, I think seventies, I think is the sort of go to. Um, I, I like the forties. Yeah, nice. But nice. I'm a big noir fan, so it makes sense for me to like the forties. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'd say you know, uh, I, I love I love old Hollywood. I really do. I love you know the studio system and all that. The new Hollywood of the seventies and everything you're talking about is really cool. But I always gravitated more toward you know uh, uh, all the you know, Selznick and Ludi Mayer and all that stuff. Yeah, same. I Gatekeepers aren't necessarily bad. I think that's one thing that we're sort of uh, struggling with is we don't have people saying like, hey, all right, come on, let's, you know. Well, I mean, honestly, I think we would have more movie stars if we were still, if we were still in that same system. And I understand that it was oppressive to certain people. Sure, absolutely. But, but, but at the same time, they would never let this social media shit go on, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're under contract for a studio, they would look at some of these actors' social medias and they would say, like, cut it the fuck out. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, we know too much about these actors. We know. Way too much. We know, you know, and, and you can't really, it's hard to separate that you know, when you go and see a movie and they're no longer larger than life, they're no, there's, the veil has been lifted and um, people just, you know, they don't idolize them in the same way that, that we used to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, good luck trying to find a, a photo of Grace Kelly at Gelson's in sweatpants. I mean, like, <laughs> could you imagine? It'd be like, oh, you're just a, some schlub. It's the obnoxious, it's the, what you're talking about, the virtue signaling and all that stuff. You know, it, it's, uh, I think it's affecting movie stars because people are really sick of it, especially outside of LA, you know? Uh, yeah. And I think that's the reason why. I, I told some, like, I'll call my dad, hey, you gotta see this movie, it's really cool. Who's in it? Oh, it's this person's like, ah, you know, that person's obnoxious, he said this and this, you know? And uh, they don't go see the movie. Right. Yeah, I mean, in, in you know, obviously, like Warren Beatty and Paul Newman had politics, but you know, they also made the Towering Inferno and Shampoo. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was forgivable, or or you could you could look past it if you didn't share the same 
beliefs as them because you're just going to go on a Saturday afternoon and, and be thrilled. But when, but when the, the movie is just an extension of the lecturing you're doing, yeah. well, you're not really giving me an option here. Yeah, yeah. It's become very didactic. Yeah. yeah. Um, who, uh, I'm trying to think of like 40s director. Who's the guy who made, um, oh my God, I'm blanking. I'm a, little, I'm a little out of it today. Oh, Carol Reed. Oh, yeah, The Third Man and uh, Odd Man Out. Oh, yeah, Carol Odd Man Out, that's such a classic. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, Odd Man Out's really good. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I mean, these are, you know, I, I can't imagine going to see a movie like that today. Uh, it's just the bar was a little, was a lot higher, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I love all that stuff. I'm a big noir fan, you know, I'm a, I'm a big... Um, I mean, Orson Welles is is a big one for me too. Now I'm I'm actually a little. Also. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that? Sorry, what was that? Said Orson Welles would be canceled also. <laughs> oh yeah, big time. Um, what isn't it amazing? Did you watch The Other Side of the Wind? Yes, I did. Yeah. Did Did you like it? No, I can't say I did. But uh, you know, um, I appreciate it. I, I'm happy that it exists as a curiosity. I I I, I wasn't bored. I just uh, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't for me. Um, you know, it, it was kind of, it was kind of spoofing that, that type of, um, you know, Antonioni type of that, that yeah. pretentious type of art film, but in so doing it became one itself. Yeah. And, uh, I just didn't think it, uh, had enough substance there to, to really gel. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think I could tell you what the movie is about, but I, I was sort of fascinated by the approach. Yeah. And I'm, I'm more of a process person than a results person. Um, and I, I think that's why it really stuck with me. Because I was like, yeah. oh, this is somebody who every frame of this is trying something new and trying. Yes. And not always succeeding. And that's, a, well, that's yeah. a big one. He was moving with the times, which I appreciate in an artist very much. You know, my favorite uh, musician is Miles Davis. And, and mm -hmm. you know, I don't really like all the the uh, uh, the fusion and the free jazz stuff that he did, but I love that he didn't want jazz to be a museum music. He he wanted yeah. it to always be progressing, and I think Orson Welles thought the same way. He didn't want to just go and make Citizen Kane again. He wanted to keep trying new things and, and kind of moving with the times to be uh, to be relevant, uh, but but in a different way than you know the way we're talking about with the films now. Um, relevant in terms of pushing the form forward. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't, there's not a lot of movies that I'm seeing that are doing that. Uh, if you if you can name any, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Um, from a craft point of view, what came out that I thought really blew me away? Um, well, I think that, I think Park Chan-wook is, is a really great filmmaker, and I thought The mm -hmm. Handmaiden, you know, it's not reinventing the wheel or anything, but I thought that it's such a well-put-together film. I mean, you really can see all the tools in his toolbox, and um, I just, I, I really was under that movie still. Um, so, yeah, that and, and I do, th and I think that Robert Richardson and Tarantino are doing, you know, some of the greatest work together. So, uh, yeah. so I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was, you know, from a cinema standpoint, really blew me away also. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the, the most revolutionary thing in that movie was the uh, stuff on Bounty Law. 
and the the sort of shooting of the TV show, but it yeah. felt real was mind blowing. I was like, well, oh yeah. my god, are you kidding me? Yeah. And then how jarring it is when the when he when uh, DiCaprio Rick Dalton fucks his lineup. That's and the camera saying. stops yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, wait, this is not an actual, this is, these guys aren't actual outlaws. Oh my God. So yeah, good. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Back to one. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. So amazing. And, uh, but I think, um, and, and people always laugh at me, but I really do think Harmony Corinne with Spring Breakers and the Beach Bum. I was like, these are new ways of telling sort of the same story that you've seen, which I, I think is what, is groundbreaking about those it's like yeah i look he's not he's not my cup of tea but i do think that he has a uh a kind of a a world uh he he builds a world that is kind of parallel to our world i like filmmakers mm -hmm. that are just a little bit off something's yeah. a little something's a little you know he's he's idiosyncratic and it's kind of his own making it's a dreamy kind of almost david lynch type of thing that he's doing yeah, so I, I appreciate that, um, but they're just not really for me. They're yeah, a little, yeah. um, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but like um, a little too like MTV-ish. No, yeah, no, absolutely. I think yeah, yeah. that's what, but I, I think that's what's sort of amazing. He's taking like music video uh, um, aesthetic and like telling a narrative. But right. I think I think what you said, is the best part which is it's not really for me which is i what i want to see in art now is yeah. two people talking and one person goes i loved it and the other person going eh, it's not really for me as opposed to people just constantly look at each other and being like hey did you see blank yeah it was amazing like when people say something's amazing i'm usually like nah not very good <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it's it's so um they're formulaic and 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 uh you know, I think great art isn't always going to be something that you necessarily enjoy. Yeah. Or you know, sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes you have you have to you have to confront it, and it, and it's something that's that's like, uh, you know, just they're not we're not making theme park rides. You know right. what I mean? Like, uh, I I can't remember the last time I was I was uncomfortable or well actually I do, but it's usually foreign stuff. Um, you know, it, it's just like someone like uh, uh, Lars von Trier, I think is a really great filmmaker because, you know, he's not going to be for everyone. It's very hard to recommend his movies, mm -hmm. but they're so him and they're so revealing and he yeah. has something to say and he's, and, he, and it's like, he's so vulnerable when he's saying it, um, that it's almost embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's not about whether or not you like it. He doesn't care whether or not you like it. It's an expression. Yeah. It's an artistic expression. And it's kind of just like, hey, here's my art. Fuck you if you don't like yeah. it. Um, he probably doesn't even like it. No, it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, almost like, it's almost like his therapy. But, yeah. but, um, but I think he's really amazing. And, um, you know, very button pushing. And, and I understand people that, that can't watch it. But uh, I think we need more stuff that's kind of um, singular like that, where it's not about good and bad, it's just about uniqueness. Yeah, this is something that Kyle Rankin and I talked about a lot of just like less, more chances, less perfect. The technology that we have really allows it to be perfect. From the, from the digital cameras can capture everything perfectly to editing wise, you can like 
from you can get down to the millisecond and make the cut and it's like i think about like a lot of movies from the 60s and 70s like one thing you would always sort of notice was those weird angles that came out of nowhere so like you know um uh, you know two two people might be talking in a coffee shop or at a party or something and then it just cuts to like a extremely low angle of like somebody dancing or talking and it's so jarring but it's also because i was shot on film and they were like hey you got like 100 feet left and it's like i ah, just go shoot this shit and then but they needed a cut they were like well go to the go-go dancer from you know the floor level right right right, right. and yeah, yeah. nobody's doing that anymore nobody like you, well you, you yeah i mean that. steven soderbergh had a great quote steven soderbergh said if i see another over the shoulder shot i'm gonna shoot myself yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and and it's true i mean you know sometimes they're unavoidable you have to do it but it, it, but there's really very little that's interesting about it you know what i mean yeah and if you think of every shot as 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 kind of a picture right or a painting mm -hmm. it's kind of like would you hang this on your wall you know, mm -hmm. kind of think that way, but also think is each shot, each, is each next shot giving you new information? Is it, mm -hmm. or is it repeating the same? Because when all you're doing is cutting back and forth from over the shoulders on both actors, there's no new information. Right. It, 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 it's, you know, um, it's like they're sitting there pressing this button and you could tell, and I think, I think that what digital technology has done is that it's, it's allowed everyone to get all this coverage. Yeah. And, and, and when you, like you said, you only have 100 feet left to film, you, kinda, you need to shoot for the edit. Whereas yeah. now you just go, well, yeah, we might as well just get all these shots from the top to the bottom, you know, master yeah. shot, all this, and then we'll throw it in the vault and we'll figure it out later in editing. But you can always tell. When I watch these movies on Netflix, I know when they shot it that way, as opposed to when someone really has a vision and when someone really, you know, just, just storyboards the whole thing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck coverage. It sucks. Um, yeah, and the, another thing just to build off that you, you said that I liked was that we need more of as directors where things are a little off. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I think that that uh, both aesthetically and, again, to build off this, like, everything is perfect technically now, and I had a friend, you know, I, I used to play in bands when I was, before I moved here. So I toured around the country all the time. And um, it was like indie rock music. And my, my friend had the best quote, I think about indie rock, when he said like, the best thing about it is it's always a little off. It's like, it's not, there's no virtuosos in indie rock. You know, like people are good at guitar players, but they're not Aerosmith or Boston, you know, like it's, the solos are kind of janky, you know, the drumming's just a little off. Well, I don't necessarily mean rough around the edges. Um, mm -hmm. what, what I mean is a world that isn't quite our world without it right. being obviously not our world. Without, I don't want fantasy. Uh, Zoller does a great job at this. That's mm -hmm. correct, Zoller does a great job at creating the kind of world that, that he, he wants to live in, you know, where everyone kind of speaks the way he, he wants them to speak and, and you know uh everything's just a not quite our reality there's a little yeah. something different about it but but you don't want to go too far with that because then mm -hmm. you're making you're making fantasy um tarantino does a great job at that um yeah. you know uh lynch is an extreme example but he does he does it uh but but um i mean i just watched uh, uh well there's a great movie that came out a couple years ago called under the silver lake and, um, and and I thought that movie was a masterpiece, and I, and I, and he does it. That director does it with that movie, and also with it follows. Yeah, um, 
you know, there's just, it's world building and it's, it, and it's, and it's idiosyncrasy and it's kind of letting you know that there's someone behind this, uh, you know, there's a, there's a style to it that isn't even necessarily um, something physical. Like right. it's not like necessarily a visual style. It's just a, a tonal style. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and watch that movie. Uh, my, my writing under the silver lake. Yeah. My, my writing partner loves it. Um, I, just, I didn't, I think it's Andrew Garfield. I don't think I, I don't think I'm big on Andrew Garfield. I think he's perfect for it. And, and, <laughs> and I do like him a lot, but, um, man, I just, I, I don't know. Yeah. A lot of people, I, you know, a 24 kind of, kind of didn't know what to do with it. And, mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people are, are mixed on it, but that's to me the sign that he's doing something right. Like we spoke about, it's it's um, it's kind of a divisive movie. Uh, we're gonna backtrack just a little because I, I didn't ask this in the moment, but I'm I, film noir is actually a, a, a blind spot in my uh, my film going experience. So what? Give me. I mean, I've seen like the Third Man. I guess if you would count that, right? Yeah, I probably I probably have seen all the majors right um i mean like so the majors the majors are going to be like you know double indemnity and some sure, of seen other, it. other movies i mean i really love uh, jules dasson so i love yeah. like um you know uh brute force and uh rafifi and uh, mm. city and uh um my 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 personal favorites that might not be on other people's you know top lists yeah that's what i want uh, uh there's a movie i really love by joseph losey called the prowler yeah, see, that's great. I've never seen it. And Van Heflin. Um, and that was in the 50s. I think that was 1952. Uh, I really love Gun Crazy. That is on everyone's list. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. It's a brilliant movie. Terrific. Um, I love a movie called Caged, which is a woman in prison film. Mm. Um, that's one of my top favorites. Uh, Night of the Hunter, I actually kind of consider a noir. I, I, so I put that on my list. Terrific. Um, yeah, Sam Fuller has some great noirs. Underworld USA. Oh yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, 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 Fritz Lang has some great ones. The Big Heat. Mm -hmm. Ida Lupino. She made some good ones, right? Yeah, I love I love Ida. I love her as an actress and a director. The yeah, Hitchhiker. She... Um, but she's in, she acts in a, in a noir I really like uh, a lot called Roadhouse. Oh, see, I've never seen that one. That's a great one. Somebody should do a documentary on Ida Lupino. I think, I, well, they just came out with a box set um, and there might be some good special features, kind of like, you know, featurette things on her. But yeah, she was such a, a, a maverick, a, a unbelievable. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and then I also thought, well, it'd be a fun documentary to, because it would never happen, uh, to just go from streamer to streamer and pitch them a woman, a women in prisons movie. <laughs> well, well, it, you know, it could be a serious genre, and Caged is definitely serious. Um, yeah. it, got, it got kind of, it got exploitative um, around, you know, the 70s. Jack uh, Hill, baby. Jack, I love Jack. I, yeah. I mean, uh, so I have a funny story about Jack. If oh, nice. Oh, great. Oh, I love talking about Jack Hill. Yeah. So, so um, I was really into his films, particularly Coffee. I mean, I really love that movie to this day. Um, and uh, when I was in when I was in college, uh, we had we had to we had to make short films. So I made a, a short film that was kind of influenced by Russ Meyer, but also kind of by him, by Jack Hill. And I was making this kind of like mock 
uh, exploitation, you know, sexploitation, but without any real sex in it, just mm -hmm. kind of that, that aesthetic and that vibe. <clears throat> um, and uh, I made this short film on a little mini DV camera with my friends. And, um, and I was like really excited about it because it was the first thing I had ever done. And I, and I, I wrote, I found his email, which was actually on the inside of the original Spider Baby DVD. Whoa. So I said, oh my God, this is, it was an AOL email. I'm like, this is definitely his, I'm gonna write to him. So I wrote to him and I said, hey man, I love your work. And, and I made this movie, uh, you know, can, can you check it out? Uh, and he said, sure, send it to me, but you have to help me. I don't know how to work the DVD player. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, so I sent him the movie and I helped him with the DVD player and he watched it and I was so excited to hear his thoughts on it. And he was like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> in, in nice in a nicer way than that. Uh -huh. but, but uh yeah he was like he was like look don't watch my movies you should go and watch the masters <laughs> I mean, little did he know I, I i did watch the masters but uh i was enamored by his films and i still i still am i still think oh he's that, terrific he's awesome really yeah he but he like based most of his movies off of shakespeare which is, which is yeah, well, that's the thing. I think that he kind of, you know, he wanted to work, so he did these kind of low-rent films, but but he was always a little more high-minded, and uh, it shows in the work, but also probably not enough for him to be super proud. I got the sense that he was like, you know, don't watch my movies, and, you know, they're from my wayward youth kind of thing. Um, but uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Maybe he loves them now, but... Yeah, I hope so. That. But... Um, but yeah, I, I think he's really special. He must be like 90 years old now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking him up real quick because he is somebody who, he's still alive, 1933. So yeah, that's about almost 90. Yeah, I love Has Spider Baby. I, I, I love, um, of course, the Pam Greer movies. Um, and, uh, you know, even Switchblade Sisters has its, has its charm. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Um, but he hasn't directed a movie in uh almost 40 years yeah that's a what? different time you know no i'm just kind of wondering like what's he do all day well probably just lives life <laughs> he enjoys life you know look here's the thing i mean i get it for people that used to make movies back when you know these these eras that we kind of um look at so fondly they're probably looking at what's coming out now and they're going this isn't what i signed up for you know this yeah. isn't this isn't the same thing uh, so I get it. I mean, I just sent an offer out recently to Pam Greer. Uh, uh, oh, wow. Which, um, you know, uh, she very respectfully passed on it, but I wrote her this long note about, about how much I, how much I love her. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, and I, I actually told that, that story, that Jack Hill story in the, in the note to her. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jack Hill's email, I clicked on IMDB pro. It's still there. I might be emailing them later. Uh, he's very, very accessible uh, from what I remember. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he has great stories. You know, he came up with Corman. He worked, he yeah. did, um, I think he did, I think he co-directed a movie, uh, I think it was The Terror with Boris Karloff. Mm -hmm. And um, that's like, uh, uh, that's the movie that uh, they, they took parts of to use for targets, the Peter right. Bogdanovich movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I'm talking about? That that's the yeah, yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what? I got one more question for you. This is always uh, the most controversial 
This is the one that could get you canceled. This okay. is the one. This is the one where people are going to be putting you on blast. But you got to answer it. Yeah. Your favorite Scorsese movie. Ah, oh, we kind of we kind of talked about this one already. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'll, I'm going to say okay. This is can I give a long answer a little bit? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Please. <laughs> so so as mentioned, Mean Streets is the one that kind of started my love for Scorsese, and it always mm -hmm. going to have a, a special place in my heart. Um. Casino, I think, is the movie that I would I would recommend to anyone who just has never seen a movie and wants to know what is he about? What's this Scorsese guy about? Yeah. Casino, Casino is the one. I think that's his masterpiece. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I agree. a movie you could recommend to anyone. You can't recommend Raging Bull or Taxi Driver to anyone because it makes you want to kill yourself. Um, they're great. They're masterpieces. Sure. But Casino has all the fun and the glamour and the style and everything. Um, the movie that I've watched the most, I think, from Scorsese. Is a, is a little film that he made um, in, in an anthology called New York Stories. It's called oh, Life yeah. Lessons, mm -hmm. uh, starring Nick Nolte and Rosanna Arquette. And I watched that movie so many times that the information on the DVD started to disintegrate. Uh, and and it's, not, it's not scratched or anything. It's mm -hmm. just actually started to lose information because I must have played it a hundred times. Yeah, <laughs> nice. I, boy, I haven't seen that one in a long time. It's a little mini masterpiece. Yeah. And it's the only, it's the only good one, right? Because the other two, it's Coppola. I like the Allen one. I like that Woody Allen one. I think it's cute. I think it's funny. It's where the mother gets is like a big Godzilla mother, and she's roaming New York City. And oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also a huge Woody Allen fan, and that's the one that's going to get me canceled. I'm a huge, huge Woody Allen fan. Uh, hey, you're safe here. Yeah. We're a, we're a Woody stand here. We don't even. I have really. To I mean, I he's my go-to. Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm sick or not feeling well or whatever, he's my, he's my pick me up. You know, un unless it's like interiors or something, but um, <laughs> you, well, you really, yeah, yeah. Then you then you get a bonus question. Yeah, favorite Woody Allen. You know, when all is said and done, uh, I, I I have to say Hannah and her sisters. I mean, mm, nice. it just it just works. It just all works. You know, uh, it does. It's a great movie. Yeah, I, mine mine has evolved over the years. Um, to love and death which i think is his funniest movie i love that movie yeah yeah so funny no great lines i mean really uh i mean that's more laugh out loud henner's mm -hmm. is more of more of a drama um but i tend to like those kind of bittersweet dramas of his manhattan and, and henner's movies like that. yeah totally I, I i do too but i think as i get older i'm appreciating the goofy i'm appreciating yeah. the silly more yeah 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 so what's your favorite scorsese then i don't know i mean i i think casino I think it's the, yeah. I, I Dallas picked uh, Goodfellas. You can't go wrong with Goodfellas, you know? No, it's a masterpiece. But I, I eventually want to have uh, a, a bunch of people on Zoom. And we're just going to have the Thunderdome Casino versus Goodfellas but argument. But you can't really, because here's the thing. Like, like, the Casino people love Goodfellas, and the Goodfellas people love Casino. So there's really no battle there. You're always just kind of like, yeah. hey, you know <laughs> <laughs> one mo two movies enter one one will leave I, I and i think the casino the the wild card or, or the thing that pushes it over the edge is sharon stone uh, oh god uh, brilliant brilliant performance it's yeah. one of the best performances ever and yeah. uh yeah. i mean it's like jenna roland's ass i mean it's like it's like a cassavetti's movie in a scorsese watch it's it's really yeah I, i'm very disturbed by it yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, no, she's, she's incredible in that. Um, and she's like, great. And I, she's a great actress. and I, I love her, but she was never like that before or after. 
Like that, that was just. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was her best performance. Uh, but I, but I do tend to like her even now. I, I, I like her and, um, she just wrote a book. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, what's Do you like, uh, do you like Wolf of Wall Street? Love Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Me too. So, I mean, just alone of being like, wow, 70 some year old director made this. Like this, yeah. this is, this flies in the face of like, oh, you got to start making the slow based on a novel sort right. of movies, you know, he's like, nah, yeah. screw it. Throw a midget, yeah, throw a midget around the office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, uh, we're, we're, are we ending this? It went fast. I had a lot of fun. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked for over an hour. Um, okay. Really, yeah, it was, it was great, man. Uh, let's, let's grab another pastrami sandwich soon. Sounds good, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, David, take care. Okay. Bye. Bye.